Do you ever wonder why our art, our architecture, music, and philosophy is so bad? Today we're going to be talking about one of the major sources of that, postmodernism. Hello, welcome to the conversation of our generation, where we are solving the problems of today with the wisdom of the past. My name is Nick Jamel, the creator and host of the podcast and creator of the blog. And I'm very excited today to talk to you about another one of the misunderstandings of the human person, which is postmodernism. And I want to discuss it because I think it gets the human person and society wrong, how the human person interacts with our society. And it's probably one of the few things that Roger Scruton and Noam Chomsky really agree on. (laughs) And so we have, we're going to be diving into what that is, where they agree, and why this philosophy falls short, but why I think it has some sticking power, why people are attracted to it as well, even if it is false, because I do think we can see this as a reaction to some of what came before it, some of the thoughts that came before it. And so that's what we're going to be diving into. I do want to say before I hop too far into this, you know, definitely check out conversationofourgeneration.com for more articles, podcasts, etc. You can Check out the show notes for this episode there, and if you do, there's links to the previous episodes in this series, all the way back to uh, probably a couple months ago now that I've been doing this. And then on top of that, uh, what I would really love for you to do is just leave a good rating and review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast, and share it with somebody. So just take 10 seconds to do that. It's free. It's easy. And it doesn't require much other than liking this podcast, hitting five stars, and leaving a quick review saying why you like this this show. And the time that I asked you to do it, you could have done it by now. So definitely do that because it helps in the algorithms, helps more people find this show and the work I'm doing here and join in on this community of people who are trying to have real conversations about deep issues and solve the problems that are facing us, not at a very high level or a very surface level rather, but in a deep and foundational way. And so with that, let's hop on in to the main part of the show. So the postmodernist movement to kind of give you a background is a reaction to the ideas of the enlightenment often referred to as modernity. So this is then the period coming after modernity. And basically, it developed in the mid-20th century, largely, I think, due to developments of the 19th and early 20th century in thought. And so what Wikipedia has to say about it here, just to give you a little bit of an overview, is postmodern, excuse me, postmodernism is a broad movement that developed in the mid to late 20th century across philosophy, the arts, architecture, and criticism, marking a departure from modernism. The term has been more generally applied to describe a historical era said to follow after modernity and the tendencies of this area. Postmodern thinkers frequently describe knowledge claims and value systems as contingent or socially conditioned, framing them as products of political, historical, or cultural discourses and hierarchies. These thinkers often view personal and spiritual needs as being best fulfilled by improving social conditions. Postmodernism is generally defined by an attitude of skepticism, irony, or rejection toward what it describes as the grand narratives and ideologies associated with modernism. 
often criticizing Enlightenment rationality and focusing on the role of ideology in maintaining political or economic power. Now, this article goes on in Wikipedia, and there's a link in the show notes, but I think that covers the major part of what I want to discuss is you can see how this is reacting against these sort of liberal Enlightenment ideas that I would say us as Americans and most Westerners probably hold somewhat dear. The idea of freedom, of you know, self-determination, of free markets, of meritocracy, right, of sciences, but also there is a very good idea that, not idea, there is a very strong urge to kind of hold up the greats, I guess you could say, right, to hold up impressive people and to build large structures and all of that, right? This, I mean, the modernity is when we had the mega, you know, mega multinational corporate corporations coming up where we had these vast, large empires springing up, you know, the largest republic to ever exist in the United States at the time came up. So we had these huge expansions of what human beings could do in these big, enormous structures being built. And in those big structures, as you know, Jordan Peterson would be happy to say, there became flaws, there became corruption. The bigger it is, the, you know, the more likely it is to be corrupted, the quicker it'll be corrupted. And the more that corruption hurts people, right? Because the more influential and all-encompassing that a organization is when it becomes corrupt, the worse that is for the people that it's supposed to serve or that are incorporated in it. And so I think some of the merits of postmodernism, while it's far from perfect, are these. Uh, there is a social conditioning. There is We are social creatures, right? And so the Enlightenment theory is a lot about individual liberty and autonomy and that we could be born in, you know, this kind of Rousseauian idea that we could just, we should just return to nature and our natural state, we're individuals and that's it. But the fact of the matter is you are born into a family. <laughs> Your existence itself is not an autonomous thing. It is gifted to you. It is thrust upon you, whichever way you want to look at it, but you do not get to choose to exist. And at least to come into existence, I guess you get to choose to continue to exist, right? But there is social conditioning. You're born into a family, into a country, into, you know, a, probably a religious practice. Not probably. You will either be, you will be in a religious practice, whether that's, you know, a traditional religion or secularism. You will have a religious uh, outlook on the world. And so postmodernism does, I think, react against this total radical autonomy and individuality of enlightenment thinking. But it goes too far to say that, well, we'll get to that, I guess, in a moment. So there, I do think that there is a valid concern there, though. And also, there are cultural customs that different societies hold to. I think one of the big things we see with the relativ moral relativism, especially among cultures, right, the fact that here in America, if we don't have 50% of our CEOs being women, then we're failing. But in Afghanistan, as long as, you know, they're not throwing acid on women's faces, then they're okay, even if they have them stuffed in burqas and unable to leave the house, right? Unable to drive or do very normal things. 
you know, we have these high lofty ideals and expectations for ourselves, but not for others. And I think that that's an error, but there are cultural differences that are neutral. I think you see this in the Catholic Church with the fact that there are different liturgies or different expressions of the faith of Catholicism all over the world. There's different, I guess, what would you call them? There's different rites and rituals, um, different saints that we look up to, devotions. That's the word, devotion. I could not think of that word for whatever reason. There's different devotions throughout the church. And so you see it a little bit differently. There's some different even kind of canonical practices, right? Or um, So there's, there's very different expressions of the one Catholic faith. And it depends on the culture and the customs, and it kind of acclimates to that and baptizes and Christianizes some of those cultural customs, but they are different. And some are good, you know, and a lot of those are neutral, I guess I should say. We have, I think, some cultural values that are good or bad, and you can make judgments, but there's some that just are, right? <laughs> the fact that the Irish like green is not a good or bad thing. The fact that the national dish of Spain is... I don't know if it's actually the national dish, but the fact that ceviche is very popular in Spain is not a good or a bad thing, right? The fact that Italians enjoy red wine as opposed to whiskey is not a good or a bad thing, right? It's tastes and preferences. And so, and and it grows up out of a cultural heritage that we should honor and that we should recognize. But one society saying that murder is okay and one saying that murder is bad those aren't neutral things, right? Now we're into a moral world. And I think that there is a, there, I think there is something that postmodernists are reacting to with large empire, empire building. You have the first and second world war. You have really in the early 20th century, American sort of empire building, right? This is the Wilsonian period. And so I think there is in this later half of the 20th century, this reaction against that enforcing of everything right we don't we do want some cultures to keep their unique we we don't want every culture to just look like main street in indiana or in yeah main street indiana main street california or whatever it is we don't want that to be what you see in shanghai china it should still look like china and feel like china even if it maybe adopts some western things and engages in a global world but we don't want everything to look the same and so I think that there is a bit of a valid concern there among postmodernists. I think their approach is wrong. And we'll get to that as well. And then lastly, the fact that art does lead to different interpretations, right? It, it is something that is open to, as Jordan Peterson would say, <laughs> an infinite number of interpretations, basically. But the fact that you can just make any interpretation of any art piece does not mean that it's a good one or that it should be accepted, right? You can say whatever you want, but obviously some opinions are much more valid than others. And so I do think that this idea that in the West we can categorize and canonize everything and say, this is the answer. This is how we look at this piece of art, right? And 
kind of take away that subjective and emotional attachment and instead take art to this objective level of here's the answer. Well, no, there isn't an answer to art. There is an objective beauty to art and we can sort of grade the beauty and grace of a musical piece or of a statue or whatever that is. But we can't necessarily... grade someone's subjective you can't fully at least grade someone's subjective reaction to a piece of art right and that's why we talk about trying to refine i talk a little bit about trying to refine our taste and try to expose us to what is really truly good and beautiful and true but we do have to sort of acclimate ourselves to looking at it in that sort of way and there can be a range of answers for how to interpret a work of art or a work of literature, right? But that doesn't mean that there's an infinite number of right answers. <laughs> there can't be. There can be really one right answer or a limited set of acceptable answers that get close enough to the truth as close as we can get with our limited understanding. <laughs> and so that is another thing that I think is valid uh, is a valid concern, at least, of postmodernists that, you know, art is something that is subject to interpretation and that has to engage with our experience, right? I think that there was a movement at some point in the West, especially in modernity, to sort of take that away from our, to get too technical on everything and to basically say, here's the form that is most beautiful, you do this. And I think that there is a reaction against that, and it's fair to say that I want to break out of that a little bit because that's what an artist is supposed to do. They're supposed to make beauty, but also push boundaries. And so I think that there is a valid reaction there. As far as some of the errors of postmodernism, I've kind of touched on where those things go a little bit too far, but I think it confuses tastes and preferences with claims and opinions on facts. So as I was talking earlier about the fact that it's okay if Italians like red wine more than whiskey, but it's not okay if they say that pedophilia is okay and we should, you know, ban, I don't know, ban women from being able to live past the age of 35. You know, right? You can't say like, oh, it's okay if you, you know, it's, it's okay to have, I think the postmodernists fudge the lines between those or ignore the burgers and Afghanistan likes putting women into burqas. It's like, well, those aren't the same thing, right? And I think a lot of that is potentially uh, some kind of materialist underpinnings, some naturalist underpinnings that, you know, we maybe aren't fully sentient, that we're just influenced by our culture, right? Because we're not actually active beings making decisions with free will. We are sort of automatons and creation products of the culture from which we come. And that is a huge problem with uh, postmodernism post as well as the social conditions aren't the only influence on our lives or our means of, impro of improving them. So they're so focused on improving the social condition because they believe that that's what creates the people. That, not that people are sort of in this discussion with the world around them. I'm The reason I have my identity as it is, you know, 
is not because I was dropped in here with this and I would have the same identity in a vacuum. No, it's because it, I have these sort of set ways about me that then I negotiate that out with my parents and my siblings and my aunts and uncles and cousins and classmates and coworkers and teachers and professors and every, you know, all these people that I, the cashier that I interact with, right? I have to negotiate out all these expressions of my identity with people around me to see, okay, what's socially acceptable. But it's not just like I'm born here in this time and place and therefore I'm going to be like this. You know, I can negotiate that poorly. I can make bad decisions. I can socialize myself poorly based on my own free will. And I can choose what is bad instead of what is good. And so I think social conditions aren't the end-all be-all. I, I do think it can help in a lot of ways to have, you know, moderate stability and peace and a good amount of, you know, living a middle-class life, right? I think that those things can help you to feel comfortable enough to be well socialized, but it's not, again, the only way of improving our lives, and it's definitely not the end-all be-all of what we can improve. You know, the reason why, you know, bad countries are bad is not because they don't have enough money, right? When we give foreign aid to all these other countries, they don't get better. <laughs> we spend billions and billions of dollars a year. It's not because there's not enough money or enough, you know, to go around. It's because there's corrupt systems. There, there's corrupt people at the head of their system. There's people who aren't willing to go and grab their liberty and take it yet. There's people who don't have that background of what it means to be a free person, right? And so it's, it's hard, you know, to say, oh, if everyone just had an iPhone and air conditioning and, you know, a house in the, you know, a townhome and everything like that, and two flat screen TVs, then they'd be happy. <laughs> well, no, there's, I mean, we, there's a lot of people who have that in the West and we're killing ourselves at a higher rate that's growing increasingly. So it's not social conditions. It's, it's, there's more to that. And I think postmodernism overemphasizes power. It looks so much at these hierarchies and these meritocracies that we've created and says that has to be out of power, not out of some sort of social consensus that, yes, this is actually the best for us. And I think if you want to dive into that, Jordan Peterson's work is great. But the fact of the matter is not everything is an expression of power. Not every hierarchy especially is an is an expression of power they can be simply just an expression of merit and especially hierarchies that are sort of agreed upon by the broader society then they're going to be democratic in nature based on the fact that if for instance you know football is our favorite sport if you can do not i guess not our favorite but it's probably the most popular sport at this point in America. You know, baseball was at one point. And so the people who make it to the top of that field are generally the best athletes. Whatever the be favorite American sport is, those are going to be the best athletes, most likely, in the country. <laughs> Whoever's at the top of those fields. And we, we sort of all agree to reward them by watching the games and buying tickets to the games and buying their jerseys and all of these things. And so all of these collective actions of people all across the country 
enforces this hierarchy and says these are the people we should shine a light on. It's not that LeBron James has some sort of power over me that he becomes this big cultural figure or, you know, Tom Brady or whoever you want, whoever your athlete of choice is, right, that you want to look to. No, it's that we all say we like these sports. We like what these give us. These people are fantastic at these sports. We agree that they're the best because this is how we want to see the game played. And that's how we pay. That's why we pay and tune in and all these things to watch it. And so it creates these things. It's not a expression of power. It's an expression of joy on our front because we are tuning in to enjoy this. We, we are saying we're willing to offer our to engage in this thing. That's not power. It is in some sense, I guess, right? They're, because they do have a big, uh, they now have a very big platform, right? They have a lot of eyes on them. So that's one thing, but it's not power in the sense that they are forcing, right? There's kind of a difference. And I don't think that postmodernists make that difference. And I think that they definitely don't differentiate between any hierarchy that exists and power. And so some of the corrections, I think that in order to really, and obviously this is a 20 minute podcast, I'm not going to exhaust <laughs> the extent of postmodernist thought. I want to get, run this at a high level again. So I, I'm just throwing that out there because I know that there are going to be people who, like on my episode with refuting Marxism, where I drop some bullet points on why Marx is wrong and people don't bother to listen to the podcast and say, you didn't even back up your claims. I'm like, well, listen to the podcast. <laughs> Those are just my show notes to keep myself on track. <laughs> but I do want to clarify that if you do listen to this and you get all the way through this and you say he didn't answer this or this, feel free to drop comments or you know, get, hit me up on Twitter. I'm not as great on being on there as much. And in fact, by that, I mean I'm good at not tuning into social media as much. But I think that it is good to have this dialogue. So feel free to reach out. You know, you can hit up my contact portion of the blog if you think this is insufficient. But I, I recognize, I just want to say, I recognize that this is not a comprehensive treatment, that this would take a lot more than 20 minutes, 30 minute podcasts. But I do think that in order at a high level to correct postmodernism, we have to look at the core of it. The main issue I find is that it is concerned with things and problems maybe in our society that do exist, but they overemphasize them or lend too much credence or their solution is too one-sided, right? It's, it's outside of the mean. And, you know, for instance, like I said, with the power structures that influence our world, there are power structures. There is corruption in these power structures, but not every little thing is a power structure. Not every hierarchy or meritocracy is a power structure. Some of them are just genuine reactions by people. And so I think that is one of the big things that we have to do is start to draw distinctions and not allow postmodernists to dictate the words and to really bring it back to the good, the true, and the beautiful. We need to say those are what we're looking for. We're looking for things to be good, to be true, and to be beautiful. And we need to discuss what that is and hammer that out. And stop talking in some of these aloof ways i mean so just to give you an understanding of some of the like the thinkers that are you know in this movement you know derrida who basically redefined language and how we use it foucault who also helped 
big time with redefining our language. Um, and you have the feminist theorists as well. So I, I cannot think of the person's name that I'm trying to think of at the moment. But uh, there is... Oh, Simone de Beauvoir, I'm not, again, I didn't take French, de Beauvoir, I'm not sure how you say her name, but, you know, those kinds of thinkers that really corrupted our ability to talk about issues the way they actually are and tried to pull us out of it. And so I think that not letting postmodernists handle the conversation, making sure that we're drawing distinctions between things and not making these sort of blanket statements about power or about uh, truth. And then I think also we have to sort of point out the contradictory ideas that we have in postmodernism. So, for instance, you know, it holds these ideas that there are sort of universal truths about power structures and hierarchies, right? That's one big thing. But they also say that everything's so conspiratorial sometimes that there's this grand narrative that we're told that Shakespeare's good be power structure but you should think whatever you want. And these ideas, these radical self-referentiality, you know, the only way to actually get the change that we want as opposed to the idea of, you know, you create the problem, you devise a solution, and, the, and then you kind of have this synthesis of the two things, right? You create struggle between the patriarchy and feminists, and then... The feminists propose the solution and by power of, you know, argumentation and social force, they win. And then they kind of subvert the, you know, they subvert the patriarchy that way. And so these people will criticize all these power structures and then be the first to use them. I mean, if you look at who the postmodernists are in our world, it's the media, it's the bureaucrats in government, it's the universities. I mean, these are the most powerful institutions in America who are the postmodernists. And, the, and often the radical leftists. And so the idea that, I, I guess the problem is, is this sort of contradictory, self-contradictory philosophy. And so I think we have to point that out. And then lastly, I judge a philosophy by its fruits. And the fields that have been influenced by postmodernism, postmodernism have been corrupted. If you look at, you know, feminist thought, if you look at, cultural studies and literary literary criticism the new the arts and architecture you know those things are linguistics oh my goodness a lot of those fields are just crazily corrupted and not actually bearing fruit and so if that's the case then i think that this is a demonstrably a philosophy that does not correlate with with reality and so I want to close a little bit with a few things that people have said about postmodernism. And I want to really call this out because these are people who have very different ideas, I think, about the world. And so the first one is Roger Scruton's quote. He says, A writer who says that there are no truths or that all truth is merely relative is asking you not to believe him, so don't. <laughs> and I think that's what we have to do with the postmodernists. But Noam Chomsky also so very much on the other side of things, he says, you know, what are their principle, excuse me, what are the principles of their theories? On what evidence are they based? What 
do they explain that wasn't already obvious, etc. If these requests can't be met, then I'd suggest a recourse to Hume's advice in similar circumstances. To the flames. You know, basically, they don't have to justify the beliefs, is what he's saying. They just sort of talk in circles and tell you that you should believe them. And really, listening to him, I disagree with him on things, but he is a fantastic thinker. In fact, a postmodern culture is an impossibility. It would be utterly un-technology. Rather, they are relativistic and pluralistic in matters of religion and ethics. This notion that there kind of is this carrying on of what is true because of our cultural studies program. We can deny objective reality because of, you know, some disparate impact on this marginalized group. And really, that's what we're seeing. You know, we, right? I mean, with the trans movement, with women's movement, with all of these things, it's sort of just trying to deny reality and impose your own idea of what the world should be on the world. And that's where the postmodernist goes wrong. That's where the postmodernist is failing in actually living out their worldview. And it's impossible, like he said, to live that out. And so that is, again, a brief summary. I say brief in 30 minutes-ish. Brief summary of some of my, I think, valid points that it makes or valid concerns that postmodernist has, as well as the serious problems and corrections that can be made to this as a theory. And if you enjoy this episode, definitely leave a good rating and review wherever you're listening to the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast, right? Those things take two seconds. You could be done by now if you just do it. And if you are really interested in keeping up with more, head over to conversationofourgeneration.com slash subscribe. For five bucks a month, you can get access to my to the Discord community conversation for our generation discord community you get my book sent to you and you get access to premium content as well so definitely check that out there's lots happening there and some i think exciting developments in my personal life coming up so hopefully we'll be able to i'll be able to discuss that here soon and maybe then be able to do a little bit more on this front uh, and bring you a little bit more content and so i'm going to be kind of thinking about how to take the podcast into the future you know depending on how things work out so there'll be more there to discuss but i want to thank you for listening to this episode of the conversation for generation please leave your thoughts below in the comments or you know reply on twitter hit me up on conversationofourgeneration.com slash contact to let me know what you think and thank you thank you for listening to this episode of the conversation of our generation let's get the dialogue going i'll talk to you next time